Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, coaches, before we get going today, I just wanted to thank you for all you've been doing to support this podcast, and we have an incredible lineup coming up here. We have just about every major college conference represented. We have a ton of FBS coaches, Division II coaches, Division Three coaches, some great high school football coaches coming on the podcast to share with you and help you grow professionally during this time. I really appreciate all of you asking your questions on Twitter. Please follow me at Coach K Grabowski for our daily updates on our guests and your opportunity to ask questions. We will read them on the show and attribute those to you. So please contribute to the show as much as you can. Welcome to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. I'm joined today by the Offensive Coordinator at the University of Akron, Tommy Zagorski. He spent two seasons at Eastern Kentucky and Tennessee before that, and he was also at John Carroll where I got to know him and joined Coach Arth, who went from John Carroll to the University of Tennessee, Chattanooga, where those guys did a great job turning a program around. Now they're at Akron in year two, and I'm just excited to have Coach Zagorski back here. So, Tommy, welcome back to the podcast. Keith, it's great to great to be here. I, I'm ready to click my card for another one. I heard uh, my third visit, I get a free sandwich, so I'm pretty excited about this. Yeah, yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll punch you on the way out here. <laughs> we'll coach the... The transition, you know, I, I got to come to campus a, a year ago, uh, disappointed that won't be able to do that this year, but, you know, watched just the energy, a lot of excitement around the program. I know your one's difficult. We talk about, you know, uh, that kind of stuff on the podcast all the time with guys and everybody says, you know, that process is basically a, a, a three-year process. And typically that's what you see when uh, you're taking over a program and it's it's brand new. You guys have been through this before, so you kind of know what it's like. You know, what's the expectations now moving into year two? You know, realistically, it's a, it's a team that's going to embrace our culture. And uh, I think year one, you know, we started from the bare minimum. We, we explained, you know, I think the opening meeting when we met with our guys, Coach Arth walked in and he said, this is a football. And held it up and explained what a football was. And, and I think that's important that sometimes, you you know, I know I've been part of this you know, three times now from John Carroll, Eastern Kentucky as a new staff and, and trying to flip it down there in Richmond and then now here in Akron. And, you know, doing that, I think sometimes you walk in and you assume that these guys know this or they know that, and you can't make those assumptions. And when you don't make those assumptions, I think it's important that you teach the guys the basics every single day. And it makes you a better football coach in, in turn because, you know, there's certain things where you're getting a guy into a stance that you're making sure that that stance is exactly the way 
you want it. And I know that sounds elementary, but, you know, a lot of guys, you come into a program and you look at the way the guys are, you know, in a stance, the way that they do certain things, the way they proceed, you know, you really have to teach these guys everything for the way they go to class, where they sit. I mean, for our rule of thumb, our players are not allowed to have a hat or hood on in a class. They have to sit in the first two rows of the classroom. We do these checks. If they're not in the first two rows, it doesn't count. So, you know, it's one of those things where going to do that and being engaged in it. And, and the biggest thing that, you know, I think that we're really happy about that we celebrate a lot is the academic turnaround and what we've done as a, as a university with our young men. You know, we have the two highest GPAs on record with the football program, the two semesters uh, we've been with these guys. So you look at last spring and then obviously the summer usually is usually pretty good. If you have a low GPA in the summer, the Lord have mercy on your program. And then you come back and you, and you have that fall where we, you know, we kind of bounced back and academically and did a really nice job. Then the service component of it, you know, last week we were able to post, uh, you know, before our guys left for the Corona hiatus, I thought it was really important to look at. We had 70 of our players involved in over 500 hours of community service, which I think is, uh, is phenomenal. And that's a testament to who they are and really embracing servitude. And that, that's where leaderships are developed. And I think everybody that's listening to this knows that already, but until you put it into practice, until your players are doing it every single day, it makes it you know vastly different. And then the football's got to come with it. And that's where we, unfortunately, missing the spring football period as of right now. Um, it, it's kind of unnerving when you, when you have a lot of effort and time put into it. They, they prepare their bodies and their minds uh, to be able to, to attack this. And you as a coach spend your days recruiting and then also planning out this spring and looking at how can I maximize our group periods? How can I maximize our indie crossovers? How can I maximize all these different opportunities while now you don't get to? And it's, it's kind of that unknown. So I think it's a, it's, a little, it's a little different for the guys, but, you know, everyone's going through it. It's not just us. And, and we got to be smart. We got to be strong every single day. Absolutely. Well, Coach, you know, looking at it now, we don't know what the future holds here as far as how this might get started back up and or when this might end. So this is the time you get to develop professionally here, too. What's been your approach? How are you taking a look at things you want to learn and how you're going to do that? Well, you know, we have an outstanding staff, you know, back at the university. And, and one of the things that I think that we've done a nice job of, our video department, they do, they, they get everything. I mean, I, I get to watch anybody, anytime, whenever I want to. So what I've been doing is I've actually been going through and I'm breaking down different NFL teams, watching what they're doing right now uh, throughout the year. So, I, you know, I go through literally their 17 games or 16 games, rather, to try to piece together who they are, what's their identity, what's the common trends, what are they good at? what things don't work, what's the kind of trend in that league, and, and kind of go from there. So I've been able to do that. You know, I kind of uh, lock myself away up in my, uh, up in my office, uh, in my home, and uh, you know, my wife's a nurse, so she's out there. Nothing changes for her, so she's working uh, at night, and she's doing everything else. So it's kind of been me at home, you know, being able to do this. And then I, I think realistically that's a good time to study those guys, and really not just from just an X's and O standpoint, but just technique-wise as well. I mean, there's so many things you see that translate over. Are your individual drills – the individuals you do, do with your players every day, do you see that reflected in not only the way your guys play, but also other people play? Are they doing the same stuff you're doing uh, at a high level? And I think that's important to look at. So that's been really, really good for me. You know, I've been trying to make sure that during this time period also, I'm watching some of the more successful college programs as well to see what they do. Because obviously the, the game's different at the two different levels, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's still 11 guys in the field and, and both teams are going to try to stop people and we're going to try to get the ball downfield and, and try to attack people.
Yeah, I was just talking to Coach Ron Roberts from Baylor, and, and we had a little bit of that exact conversation, how you know he talks to guys from other conferences to find out you know what's going on because I think you find this true. You know, even thinking back to our OAC days, like when somebody starts having success with something in the conference, it starts popping up, you know, in other places, you know, whatever that might be. I, I remember pin and pull being something that started to become a big part of it at, uh, in the OAC, uh, you know, everybody was doing that and having success with it. And, and so you, you, you need to step outside a little bit and find out, you know, answers to what some people are doing just to stay ahead of the curve. Now, what I found interesting and I told them about was, you know, for me, this past season I had uh, my assistant at USA football is now an assistant with uh, the Cleveland Browns defensive staff and then Charlie Coiner who was a long time college NFL coach we just watched games all weekend and then you know what we said we call it every week we get together do a little podcast we call it trends day we did it every Wednesday and it was like the trends we saw developing and man we could not believe how some things started just spreading across the country and everybody started doing you might not have seen that team doing it early on but somehow it creeped into their playbook so i think though having that network and now is a perfect time to de- develop this right that network of, of guys who you can go to who you trust maybe are facing different situations than you are away from it a little bit but can maybe work with you through an answer to some, some problems you might have just by getting on the phone real quick. Absolutely. And that's one of the things you look at is that, you know, what we're, what we're attacking as a country and our players brought to everybody that's being affected by this, but we're also in a, in a time period where technology has never been greater. And uh, this is an opportunity for us to, you know, unfortunately our students sometimes isolate themselves from each other, even when they're next to each other by being locked into these devices that we, that we're talking on right now. But one of the beauties of that, one of the powerful things about it is that we have a chance now as coaches to use that to stay in contact with recruits, to be able to talk to you know, their families, to be able to talk to other coaches, you know, like you said, another, at, other, at other programs, other levels, um, not just, you know, our level, but also uh, this morning, I, I talked to two different high school coaches in Northeast Ohio, just talking to them about, you know, how are things going? How's your team? How's this, how's that, just to check in because, you know, there's a lot of great ideas out there. You know, I'm watching, you know, even on Twitter right now, all these coaches are posting all the workouts they're doing with these guys that are just stuff they can do at home by themselves. And it's, it's really powerful. It's, it's good to see people pulling together in that direction. And, you know, it's good to see that. And, you know, I think that we all learn from different people and, you know, it doesn't have to have an NFL logo next to it to be positive. So like you said, you know, reaching out to those guys and utilizing this technology to really maximize this time and make sure when we get finally the ball rolling, literally and figuratively, we're, we're going and uh, we're the best version of us that we can be. Yeah, I think the part of, about this that says a lot just about our profession, about the coaching community, is <laughs> while there are those people who try to make a buck off of us during the season, everybody's doing a lot of free stuff right now. I know me being able to reach out to college coaches right now, they're giving their time. I mean, I think we have uh, just an incredible lineup here, and uh, even on some questions I'm going to ask you here, right? Some of these questions are coming from uh, from some of your colleagues at the FBS level. So that I think just says a lot about our willingness. Really, I mean, hey, we get to we get to September, and yeah, we we want to beat each other's butts. But like right now, I think everybody is is about sharing and getting better. And I think it's it's an important thing for this this time as well. Something we haven't ever faced before in our lives. Absolutely. And it's a great equalizer, too. And one of the things you talk about competitive advantage, you know, that different people discuss a, a lot of different times is, 
you look at, you know, when I was at a place at the University of Tennessee, you know, your budget's through the roof, where in the spring you can go and go visit another school and you can afford to go do that. Well, you know, you know, certainly other schools, you don't have the, the flexibility to do that fiscally, but now we can all do this to help each other out. And, and really that's what the sport's all about. The sport's about giving back to it and giving all of us so much. It's like us grown men are so passionate about a boys game, but I think it's important for that as well. So it's, it's good to see guys like you, Keith, and, and really across the board, all of us pulling together and, and maximizing each other's uh, mindset and making sure that this game's even better for our students when we all return to it. Absolutely. You, you wonder too, like, will that become the new norm? Because we still, still like to go out and see people in person. And I, I don't think clinics will necessarily go away, but now I think guys are, you know, a lot of guys who didn't know what zoom before know, know what it is real quick and just embracing some of the, the way to do this virtually. And I think that's a good thing. I mean, when you think about it and I think about, you know, being kind of one of those clinic junkies for a while, you're gone every weekend. And that's okay till you have kids, you know, then it's, then it's not quite okay. So I think it's, it's an opportunity that allows us to, to continue to grow and, and just find new and different ways to do it. Absolutely. It's a big, powerful point of it. And I think it's really good. And like you said, Zoom, I mean, I'm learning more buzzwords right now about different ways to meet online than I ever thought possible in my entire life. It's, I mean, it's, a, it's absolutely amazing. I actually reached out to a friend that I attended Case Western Reserve University with, and she's worked from home for, I think, the last seven or eight years in the profession she's in. She's a, she's a headhunter recruiter, and I kind of reached out to her just kind of the, some of the things that they do, or she does rather with her colleagues on a daily basis to kind of work with it just to kind of just kind of adapt to this and learn a lot more about how people are meeting, how we do this, and, and kind of going from there. This first set of questions from Kyle Siegler, who is the tight ends coach at Marshall. And his first question is, how do you organize your practice and scripting, and especially when you're dealing with, you know, being able to handle the seven-on-seven for you as an offensive line coach? Yeah, you know, I'm really fortunate that, uh, you know, we have a real, we have a great staff that pulls together. You know, Tom uh, Arth, our head coach, is also really heavily involved in the offense. Uh, he was our play caller last year during the season, and uh, and does a good job of, you know, of, of delegating. He's done a Nice job letting me kind of delegate where we go as an offense this offseason and, and having Brian Gasser as our passing game coordinator is really, really helpful. Brian really takes care of the seven on seven. And, uh, you know, different periods we do during practice, we kind of script accordingly uh, and it, it works together. It, it's just our entire unit. We've got, you know, and what I try to do is I try to give everybody an opportunity to script something at practice uh, just because I think that's important for every guy on our offensive staff. I hope that all of them aspire to the offensive coordinators at one point or another in their career or, or, or to be head coaches. I and mean, I think it's important to be able to take ownership of certain periods and to look at what we're trying to accomplish and uh, trying to attack it. So for example, our, um, you know, right now our tight ends coach, Chris Cook, he's a, uh, he's an online guy by trade. And it's always funny when you say, you know, question like a tight ends coach. And you know, I've coached tight ends before in my career. Uh, we've got other guys that, you know, Ryan Gaster coached tight ends before. So we've had different coaches on our staff that have coached tight ends. And when, when they do that, you look at, um, there's those guys that are more O-line type tight end guys. And then there's guys that are more passing game type tight end guys. And you want to be, and one of the things that was huge for me as a coach developing was when I came to, when I came to Eastern Kentucky, I was a tight end coach for the first time I didn't coach offensive line in my coaching career. And uh, for that first season. And, and when I got there, I remember seven on seven came the first day and I, I didn't go to it. I, I didn't, I obviously, I went down to, I was, I was doing one-on-ones and I'm like, wait a second, what am I doing? I got to be out here with my guys. But um, realistically, we let Chris uh, Cook, our tight end coach, be the uh, he he scripts our nine on seven for us every day. 
you know, Jaden Everett, our running backs coach, he's in charge of our ball security circuit. Uh, so it's a big thing that we do, a big point of emphasis on, uh, for us as a program. Uh, so it kind of gives him that ownership but also allows him the opportunity to be in charge of that. And I think realistically, when you have a great staff, you, you can give guys, delegate, and give different opportunities to those guys that allow them to do that. And, um, and I think one of the things that you know at the University of Akron, and you know this from hanging out with us a little bit, Keith, is that you can check your ego at the door. Uh, titles don't mean anything uh, at, our, at our program. I mean, realistically, what, what it is is it's a, it's a group of men trying to pull together in the same direction and you know, really complement each other's talent set. So uh, in a long-winded way, each guy has a different you know, uh, point so that at the end of the day, you know, usually uh, Coach Ark and myself and, uh, will have kind of the final say on what, what's on that script and kind of where we go from there. Yeah, I was able to sit with you guys during spring ball last year. And I mean, it was just, it was a collective scripting period. And even, you know, I can remember, uh, you know, even even some of your GAs kind of getting involved in, in helping that process. And uh, it moved pretty quickly too. I mean, it was it was good discussion here and there about what we're going to run. And one of those things like somebody say, hey, we ran that same look yesterday. Let's flip it to this. So I, I think the collaboration part is important. Whether you do that in one room, whether you do it separately, that ownership part of the offense, right? Being a, being a coordinator does not mean uh, you are the guru or you know the the uh, the guy who makes all the decisions. Coordinate means to bring together, right? And, and so, how do you utilize all those skills? No, and, and that's and that's the biggest thing is that you know empowering people. If you, if you don't believe in your coaches and you don't give them those opportunities, how do they believe that you believe in them? And I think that's important. And I think what we do offensively is um, you know sophisticated enough that all these guys are taking something away from them even if they stay here or if they go somewhere else uh, you know they're, they're going to be a better coach in the long run because of it and it's also important to understand why we do what we do you know i've been in programs where you know that you have uh you know when i'm running out they don't at the boundary well the safety keeps skirming out in this covered quarters look well, well who's going to go get who's going to go get them you know and talking about having that having that healthy conversation like why are we working this way why are we doing this you know, how are we attacking this little so closed look? How are we doing? You know, just different things that, like you said, you've been part of those conversations and it really allows us to maximize everybody's talent set. And, and the biggest thing is, is you hope guys have film of it. And that's when you really get excited is when somebody sits up and goes, sits up and goes, oh, I have, I have tape of us doing this against this team or so on and so forth. And that's when you really get excited about it and, and, and kind of help you uh, build on the DNA. Uh, another question from Coach Segler was, how hard is it to be the play caller and not coach the QB? Yeah, you know, I uh, here at the University of Akron, Coach Arts our head, uh, is our play caller and, and also our head coach. But when I was the offensive coordinator at Eastern Kentucky University, I coached the tight ends and the offensive tackles. And one of the biggest things was, was meeting with those quarterbacks on a regular basis. You know, for me, you know, I, I think one of the things I got to learn working alongside Coach Art for so many years before departed to go to the University of Tennessee and, and EKU was I, I looked, he looked at the game always through a quarterback's lens. And I think as an offensive lineman, I never really thought of it that way. Uh, even though I did play the position of center at, at various points in my career, I didn't really look at it that way until I became a coach. And meeting with those quarterbacks, understanding what are they comfortable with. Uh, I, I know as a, you know, playing offensive line, you get lined up and you go hit this or go hit that. And you're like, okay, I got this. Well, then it comes back to the quarterback. He's got to know what all 10 guys are doing. You know, the other 10 guys are doing every, every single play. He's got to have the opportunity, that confidence that when he walks into that huddle, all those guys are going to look at him and know that he's the guy that's going to get it done. And, uh, you know, meeting with those guys and, and being able to script through it, you know, and when I, when we script our first eight, you know, in Eastern, I, I did a first 16, I did, you know, our first eight, and I had another first eight. 
uh, that I would go through. So I guess it would be the first 16 that he would articulate it. But uh, long story short, I had the quarterbacks rank their top calls as well as every coach on our offensive staff, including our GAs and QCs. And, and what that did for me was, hey, what was like – and if there was something that everybody had, it was like, all right, we're definitely running this. If we had, if we had something, you know, it's, it's you know, you're getting mini coverage, and like, all right, we're gonna run three by one, all go special. All right, great. Like, all right, everybody runs out of here. But awesome. Well, everyone's got that checked off the box. So, where's the quarterback? What's he confident in? What does he really love? Like, what's the things that he went through the week and he heard us call that play and said, "Ooh, I like when we call that," or "I like when we do this," and "I like when we do that." Uh, so that was really important for me to have those extra meetings with the quarterbacks, and, and those were obviously voluntary because of the time period, the times that we give with those guys. Uh, but that was huge for me and crucial for me as a play caller to really know what they're comfortable with because there's certain things that I could absolutely love in the door and say, hey, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. But at the end of the day, uh, the guys executing me got to be comfortable with it. And I think that's important. So that was a big part of it, uh, not coaching the quarterbacks. And then also, you know, having a good enough relationship with those quarterbacks so they can be honest with you. And I think there's times where, you know, players, especially the quarterback position, they're such leaders, they're such aggressive people by nature. They don't want to let you down. You know, they're, they're people that they know people depend on them. They don't want to let you down, but, you know, having a healthy conversation going, hey, Coach, I really don't like the progression on this. I, I just, I'm not feeling it. I just, I, I don't like the way it feels. Um, just too slow for developing for me. I'm not comfortable with it. Well, then, then I'm not going to run it because I'm not the one that's got to make the throw. You do. I actually call this stuff, but uh, realistically for those guys, you know, making sure that they're comfortable with the play calling, comfortable with where we're going to go and, and directionally. And then also during the game, having a conversation where if you're calling the game in the box, being able to get that quarterback on the phone and talk to him, you know, and then talk to him before even the quarterback coach talks to him, just to kind of feel him out a little bit uh, to kind of see where he's at and kind of going from there. Our next question kind of relates to that idea of being a, a coordinator who has, you know, grown up as an offensive line coach. It's from uh, scoop Reed here and says, what, what have you done to improve your knowledge of the passing game? And, you know, I think this probably applies. I mean, while you continue to grow, this probably applies a little bit more as when you were a younger coach. And I can remember just myself having offensive line coaches on the staff who really knew the offensive line protection and run game really well. But when you get into the, the, to the nuts and bolts of, you know, attacking a coverage, you know, they, they needed to learn some things there. So I think it's a good question, especially for those offensive line coaches who aspire to be a coordinator. Yeah, you know, realistically for me, it's, you know, being inquisitive and, you know, when you talk about being a clinic junkie, I go to clinics, I really spend more time going to DB talks and wide receiver talks than I do anything else. And the reason I do that is because I've ate based on my body type, if anyone's looking at the picture of me, I never played wide receiver. I never was in TV. I never was even close to being any of those guys. I would have never guessed. You huh? never would have guessed, Keith. That's right. So, no. But I, you know, <laughs> being able to do that, for me, it's important that, well, it makes you a better run game coach if you can understand the coverage responsibilities. It makes you a better football coach if you can understand you know, what that secondary is trying to do, how they're trying to attack you, what are they vulnerable, what are they doing? And and for me, it's been developing a network of coaches that I can ask those questions to and, and not feel ignorant when I ask those questions. Because I, I think day one, you know, I remember going into, you know, I get a graduate assistant at John Carroll. I'm, brought, I'm drawing cards on a summer day, and, and I'm looking at the, one of these things, and it's like, uh, all right, we're in, we're in cover eight. I'm like, oh, well, what's cover eight? Like, I have no idea, you know. 
well, that's quarter, quarter, half. I'll explain, you know, and like the way that it was articulated there in that vernacular. And I'm trying to think to myself, well, I'd rather have somebody explain it to me and I understand it than just going, okay, I just draw this card as quickly as I possibly can and get through it. And I think that's one of the things I, you know, I was watching, uh, I was able to watch the, uh, the Belichick Saban deal. And uh, I thought it was uh, you know, Coach Belichick and Coach Saban made a good point saying that people rush through their responsibilities in the office sometimes to try to get to the perceived more important things. And I think what happens is you don't develop that core base as a coach. If you don't develop that core base as a coach, you don't really know what's going on. It would be the equivalent of if I told you, like, hey, I want you to memorize multiplication tables, but I never taught you addition. Well, how are you going to get there? Like, I can teach you to recite stuff and sound like you're kind of intelligent, but what are the basic building blocks to, to get to that point? And I think that's really, really important. And for me, it was talking to as many people that would listen to me talk um, that, like I said, I was comfortable with. Because also, you do have a little bit of pride where you don't want to go sit there and ask questions where people go, it's really dumb and easy. I mean, it's the same thing with... He asked me questions about the offensive line, and I go, yeah, that's, that's great. You know, that's it. here you learn this, you learn that, and, and you kind of go from there. But, you know, I try to never, you know, insult anyone's intelligence when you do that. You know, and people that are really important to me were, you know, Tom, obviously, coming grip from the NFL. Coach R was working with him right out of the gate when I was a, I was a GA at Carroll and then working with him alongside on the offensive side of the football before he became the head coach. It was really important to see – you know, what he was looking at, why he understood these different things, you know, and then reaching out to people in his network that were able to help me uh, become a better coach. You know, Mark Elder, who was, who was my head coach at the, um, you know, at uh, Eastern Kentucky University, he's been a coordinator on the offensive side of the ball, the defensive side of the ball, and special teams. So he's done a little bit of everything. And, and really it was really important for me was I could always ask him the question why, and, and he would always have, he would always try to give you the proper answer. If he didn't know the answer, he'd go, well, technically I think they're trying to do this and, because we can look into it and kind of go from there. So I, I think don't be afraid as a coach to ask the question why. I think sometimes you got to know when to ask the question why. Like the question why is not during period seven when the cards are been drawn and you're trying to get to the, the next period. But being able to take coaches, and I think as we as coaches, we got to take time to develop those young coaches so they understand everything that's going on. Because unfortunately, we as coaches sometimes are like, well, I got to finish this and I got to recruit and I got to do this and then I got to go pick up dinner so see my wife. Da, 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 da. Those are all really important things, but also to develop those young men and make sure that they're prepared to go forward and do things. You know, that's a, um, I spent more time. I, I had a GA this year who actually just left to go to a, a Big 12 school. I'm really excited for him because he's going to do a phenomenal job there and he's prepared really well. And that's because of hey, his inquisitiveness of being able to ask that question why and be comfortable enough to ask me questions. And, and I think one of the things you look at is sometimes uh, it's, it's a little bit fearful when you work for certain people in this profession, you get scared to ask those questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. If somebody thinks you're stupid for asking the question, shame on them. Um, it's important to study that and to look at it and, and to develop those relationships and, and develop really that intellectual curiosity when it comes to the throw game so you understand what's going on. I, I just, I, I would, I would be, Really embarrassed to sit in a meeting and, and have to do that. And then the last thing was when I interviewed at the uh, University of Tennessee, um, I interviewed with Mike DeBoard, who was the office coordinator at the time and then went on to be the OC at Indiana. Uh, right now, I believe he's an analyst at Michigan. And Coach DeBoard, when I met with Debo, the first question he asked me, I'm interviewing for the assistant line job at the University of Tennessee. The first question he asked me, what's your favorite third and eight concept? So I go to this meeting. I go to this interview, and I'm, like, all geared up. I'm, like, all right, here we go. I'm going to talk a line with this guy, ready to go. Boom, and he, he, he right on the spot. Hey, what's your favorite third and eight call? 
you know, I'm a 29 year old, you know, off division three offense coordinator. And I come back and I you know, hit him right with it. He's like, man, this is great. You know, so we go through this and he's like, I, he goes, the reason I asked you a question, he goes, I really didn't care what you were going to say. He goes, I just wanted to see if you do anything other than just the offensive line. And I think that's important to make sure you do that and, and, and be prepared for it, which is great. And, and that I felt really good. And that's a testament to the coaches. I worked with the John Carroll at that point that I was prepared to be able to have a, you know, intelligent conversation with, with people at that level, especially during the interview process. Yeah. And I want to point our listeners back to an episode I did recently with Tom McDaniels. And, you know, he talked about his approach. It was a, a talk he gave at Mount Union to some guys in Larry Karras's uh, football class about how to become a head coach. And, you know, early on, he said, you know, major in something and minor in something. And then as you get going, become a double major in something. The whole idea that, you know, early on, you are going to have that limited skill set. You do need to probably get deep to be successful, get deep into something, get good at it, but still have those other things you're working on to learn the game. And, and you know, a lot of what he said reminded me of that. So I'll, I'll be sure to link that up in our show notes here. Oh, awesome. That's great. I'm looking forward to listening to it. And moving on, what run game are you guys using against the the four eye for some time? Give me some nightmares, especially, especially when uh, Tom took over at John Carroll and brought in who the the now defensive coordinator of of the uh, Los Angeles Rams, uh, Brandon Staley, and you know he had that defense that you guys were in four eyes, and it was it was you know some nobody was really doing it before. Man, it was tough. There was there you know just definitely had to change how you looked at things a little bit. So, what do you like against the four eye? You know, the biggest thing is, is first is when you're recognizing that and you're looking at it, how are those four eyes playing? Are those guys two-gap players? Are they angling and slanting those guys? Like, what are they doing with those guys? And, and from that standpoint, it kind of opens up how you can attack it accordingly. Um, I, I think everyone in America will tell you that running outside zone is a great play against it uh, just because, you know, you're still going to be able to work your combinations. You're still going to be able to work inside zone. You're going to have number problems. And also, it's not a germane, it's not a natural flow to it. Um, and, and this is where I have a, I have a couple of debates with a lot of local coaches that I, that I like to talk uh, ball with on a regular basis. And, you know, one of the things that I saw with these guys is you see, you know, the evolution of inside zone and, and everyone's running some variation, but almost it seems like when you, when you put on the film, but um, you know, the duo play, you know, cultivating as many double teams as you possibly can and being able to get to it out of multiple personnel sets. I think sometimes you get caught when you go, well, we can run out of the left run out 13. Well, everyone here doesn't carry 12 and 13 personnel. Everyone doesn't have a 21 personnel where they can just move that fullback and adjust them up on a lot of scrimmage and tell them, hey, you're going to go do this uh, and go from it. And, and you know, the first time I learned to play, I, uh, someone explained it to me as power without the puller. And, um, and I, I said, okay, power without the puller. And then I went and I, I met with an NFL team and uh, for OTAs, and I told them that I was like, yeah, you know, what do you guys run? And I go, we run you know, duo the power without the puller, and the old line coaches almost laughed me out of the room. They go, it's called duo. It's not power without the puller. And I, so that's where I've always been like, okay, very important with that. So, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, is just you idea different. You idea it like a gap scheme run, but then when people watch it on, you know, watch it, you can work through it. And then the other thing is the ball, you know, that comes with that duo play. You know, I think the biggest thing you see with it is a lot of teams, you know, if the team's an under center team, you know, are they going to open? Are they going to open, make it look like outside zone, the first ball handling, and come back and, and let that court, you know, let that back have time to go read that Mike linebacker and go with it? Or are you going to have the opportunity 
to run it out of the gun? Are you going to run it out of, you know, what are you going to run out of the pistol? Are you going to run it out of the sidecar? What way do you want to run it? And how do you want to do the ball handling? You know, I, I saw, I was watching the Buffalo Bills the other day and they, they run the duo play uh, enough. And one of the things that they do, they don't reverse ball, you know, they open similar to what Lenningham was doing down in Dallas when they were running it with Dak Prescott. Because Prescott, when they would run it, you know, he would, you know, he'd still be able to work it, but they were still open there because I think Ezekiel Elliott was able to read it better that way. So it just depends on who you're looking at when you're running it and what you want to do. So those are two really good plays that I always like to run against that. The pin and pull, you, the aforementioned pin and pull play also is another way of getting to, if you're not a true outside zone team, it's another way to kind of cultivate leverages that aren't nearly natural. Um, and then also any other way you can get to it that way. I think it's important. I know a lot of teams also run the, the guard tackle pull where they re, they try to read the four eye or they try to read the in man line scrimmage. Because uh, you, you're well aware, you, you can't block back on it. Um, and then the uh, and the last place tackle wrap play. If you're going to run dart, um, you know with that you be able to do it. And um, you know I, I know as we as coaches we're always looking at ways to attack that four eye and those fours to see you know how they're. But the biggest thing is number one, how are they playing it? Are they playing it? where you're actually going to have to play against the four-eye or are they playing it where you're going to be playing against an underfront all day? And that's been important to me when I look at the way the teams do this. And I think also formationally there's times where you can get them out of it where you can actually call their hand uh, and put them in a place where they are going to be just in an underfront. And, uh, and then from there you go, okay, I feel a little bit better. Well, the coach, he started right here on the tackle. He's playing the B-gap and he's coming down. And, and then it, it's like you have to look at it that way and, and see that. So I think that's the first thing. Um, as you do it, I think that's important. Well, I know there is definitely uh, some of that NFL influence in your offense, having watched you last spring and, you know, with with any NFL coach, especially a guy who played quarterback like Coach Arth, run game is the quarterback's best friend and the play action is right up there at the top for him as well because that's the opportunity to really find some guys wide open. How How big uh, is the play action game for you guys? Oh, it's crucial. It's absolutely crucial. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing that we need on, uh, meaning Tom and myself when we cross over and Brian and everybody when we get together, you know, the biggest thing that we always do is, okay, we've got this play. What play action can we run off of it? How can we set this up and, and be able to do that? And like you said, I mean, the NFL game, you watch it. I mean, it is, uh, you know, play action galore. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm watching the other day, I'm watching – going back watching Green Bay. And, you know, Green Bay had a phenomenal season. But that week one against Chicago, they had no idea who they were yet. You know, still that identity didn't seem like they had what they wanted to do. And, you know, they're taking sacks on first down and they're doing all these different things that, you know, isn't really germane to a good offense. And, and they're doing this. And then finally they're able to get the ball rolling a little bit by running the football, setting up a little bit outside zone, and then setting up play actions and some naked off of it and giving them some shots where it gave them a chance to at least extend the field and a very low-scoring attempt, a low-scoring game. So for us, you know, the play action is important. And then also, it's easy, and this is where you get into it, where you talk about looking from a quarterback side. Well, a quarterback usually can say, well, I can get this, this, and this. But, you know, the great ones are always going to say, well, am I protected? Am I going to have the opportunity to get to this by being protected? And I think that's the biggest debate we have is, you know, when you're setting up your play actions, who are your – where are you going to be weak? Are you, if you're pulling somebody, can your center slam back on a three technique in that pass protection? You know, because he's really not going to get a ton of help from that tackle because that tackle's got a five technique um, that's, going to, that's going to go after him or depending on what the front's going to be. Are you able to have your tight end block somebody one-on-one? Are you able to get a running back involved and, and be able to allocate him into the protection so that you have enough people 
to work to it? Are you comfortable enough with the concept you're having that you've been that you're investing seven to eight people into your protection, but knowing you're only going to end up with either a two or a two or three man concept? Um, are, are you comfortable with that as a coaching staff? And I think that's really really important for us, and uh, that's a lot of the debate that we have. We're trying to put this product together. You know, I was talking to somebody about the, the play action game the other day. The thing I love uh, about a good play action game with you know a tight end in the game especially is those are the guys who you know you do it right and they're good at at, at blocking and being patient and getting out looking at you know a tight end and a guy who's good at blocking and you know dynamic as a pass catcher really gets some big opportunities in an offense especially uh, you know what they're doing with the pro style offense heavy run game because you you're not only just attacking a dual responsibility defender you have a dual responsibility offensive player weapon right I mean I'm not talking receivers you know can stock block but the guy who's actually blocking in the box and appears to be you know sold out on blocking in the box and now all of a sudden he's out on a route looking at those guys how big is it to be able to have uh, you know a dynamic guy there who can also block and how do you guys like to utilize that guy yeah, that's crucial. I mean, it's crucial for us. I know for me, when I play, when it comes back to, and I know high school coaches are listening to this and they're going to laugh that when I'm going to talk about the recruiting process with these guys, I always try to find those basketball players. And this is where, as a, as a high school coach, if there's a guy that's 6'3", six, 6'4", six, on the basketball team that's sitting towards the end of that bench, but he's a good athlete, like, there's a good chance he could probably play tight end for us. Does he have the right mindset? Is he a kid when you go watch him play? Does he move well enough in space? And uh, I think that's important. You know, tight ends traditionally are a position group that have grown from other position groups. It's a guy that maybe he wasn't he wasn't fast enough as a wide receiver, so he gets moved to tight end. There was a quarterback that's a big kid, but they're like, ah, you know what? I don't know if he's going to be able to play quarterback for us. We might have to move him to tight end. Offensive lineman that's an undersized offensive lineman. Maybe he can play tight end for us. A defensive lineman. That you know, you have a defensive end that you're like, you know, maybe he's a better D lineman than he is, a better O lineman than D lineman, and so on and so forth, or maybe he can play tight end for us. Realistically, any defensive coordinator will tell you the more those tight ends are on the field, the more stress you place on them. And the reason that is that you can line those guys up in a myriad of ways, you know, from putting them, isolating them by themselves one on one with a smaller defensive back. You can put them in the backfield and make them go block somebody. If you have somebody who can do both those things, you have a really, really dynamic offense right there. Because that tight end position, it just gives you so much flexibility. I mean, to be able to have this, I mean, in some you know, some cases, and this is, we were at Easter, we had a kid that, that played for us that I think in his career he might have caught 25 passes in the three years that he played varsity football for us Eastern Kentucky, which is not an overwhelming stat. But the thing that's really cool about his stat was that we can run the football behind him it was almost like we got into unbalanced. The kid was so inept in, in, in how he wanted to block people. And he was a kid that was a former AU basketball player that really just didn't get into football until like his senior year of high school. And we were able to, you know, the kid was six foot six. He was, you know, 255 pounds. And he would get up and he would just go attack these guys and throw hands on them. And he wasn't afraid to do it. And he took a lot of pride in that. And I think that's the biggest thing is that when you get those tight ends that take pride, in being able to block and being able to be physical and being able to have that kind of you know battle cry, it makes everybody in the program that much better. That dual play we talked about before with the four odds. If you got good, if you got good tight ends, like that play spurts out to those bumps out to the tight end or those tight ends plural, 
so many times they can just stay to stay on their block. You know, they're going to do a really, really nice job and be able to do it. But I think that's where you, you get that. It's a, but also being smart, you know, if, if you're going to line up and you're playing the Houston Texans and you know that you're going to get your tight end blocking JJ Watt all day, you don't feel great about that. And nobody's like, Oh man, that's a good matchup for us. I don't care who your tight end is. You know, now it's, can the guy help you chip a nudge on that J.J. Watt type player and then get him out late? Can he be able to help you combo through him uh, to work whatever you're going to do and kind of go from there? So I think that's important with that tight end position. It's uh, It truly is the most flexible position in football. I, I truly believe that. And I think it's one of the most dynamic positions. And when you have players that can do that, it really permeates throughout your entire offense and really allows you to be you know, a really balanced, uh, effective offense that isn't as easy to know what you're going to do. I, I look back, you know, you think of like John Carroll, you know, in 2014, my last year there, we go into that final quarter of the uh, Elite Eight game with Mount Union. And, you know, we had a lot of the same stuff we carried the first time we played them because we liked it the way it was successful. But we window dressed it with 13 personnel. And uh, unfortunately, we lost one of those tight ends to a concussion in practice on Thursday uh, before the Saturday game. And it, you, now, you're, now you're kind of like, Grasping for straws, trying to figure out how this 12 and 13 personnel is going to work out for you and kind of help you from that standpoint. But I think anytime you can do that, it really gives you a lot of maximizers who you are offensively. Coach, I know you don't have anything to share as far as any dates or clinics or anything like that. I, I could tell our listeners this that the guys at the University of Akron are very welcoming to the high school coach and to recruits. So if there's something you're interested in doing, you want to get out there when they get going again. I highly recommend it. Just a great group of guys. And Coach Zagorski, I really appreciate you taking time here for our listeners so they can follow you as well as understand where you recruit. Uh, so first of all, what's your recruiting area? What areas do you hit? I have the uh, the best recruiting area in America. I've got Northeast Ohio. So I've got uh, all Summit, Stark, the west side of Cuyahoga County, uh, in the Lorraine County, and then down in the Medina. And then I recruit offensive and defensive players nationwide. But I spent the majority of my time right here in the heart of it all, Northeast Ohio. Awesome. And and your Twitter handle? Akron Coach Z. So all, no spaces in between. A-K-R-O-N Coach Z. Z is in Zagorski, Zebra, uh, ready to go with that. And, you know, one of the things that's great is, you know, just to let everybody know, you know, what we're doing here, what we're building here, you really got to step foot on our campus. I grew up here in Northeast Ohio and didn't get an opportunity to really attend or to ever go to the University of Akron except to see LeBron play at the JAR a couple times uh, when I was in high school. And I really didn't get a chance to walk onto our campus. And, and I think even if you've been to Akron, you know, in the last five years, it's changed. And it continues to change really for the better for our students. We have some of the best programs in the world. Our Palmer Engineering Program is number one in the world. We have one of the best sociology programs in the country. Our psychology program is outstanding. Our nursing program is outstanding. We have the Fisher Institute for Sales. Uh, where our students are graduating with a sales business uh, opportunity that not a lot of other students are getting. And uh, it's really a special place. And then you get a chance to meet our coaches and get to meet our, you know, everyone that's involved in the culture that we cultivate every single day. The University of Akron is a special place. And, and hopefully we as a nation are ready to do this. We go back out and get a chance to get everybody down to the 3-3-0 and get a chance to see it. Absolutely. Well, again, Coach, I appreciate your time. And I guess chill and uh, enjoy some time here when the wife is home from her nursing duties. In the meantime, I guess learn some ball. Absolutely. Read, 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 read as much as you can. You know, read something that's in your wheelhouse uh, that you can read right now. I'm, I'm finishing a, a book right now of, uh, called Gridiron Genius by Mike Lombardi. 
Uh, but then, oh, which I, I know a lot of people here have already read it, but it's just good to go back through that. And then my non-football reading right now, uh, I, I promised myself at the beginning of Lent, I was going to read the entire New Testament. So I'm finishing through that, which uh, I've had a little bit more opportunity than I did previously to do it. So there's no excuses. And then wash your hands. And really the social distancing thing, let's make sure that we're doing the right thing and let's, let's, let's attack this. Let's, let's be the forefront. Ohio, we've been such a forefront in so many other things when it comes to football, when it comes to uh, education, when it comes to just different things that we've given to our, to our culture as a, as a country. And our, our governor has been very proactive and, and some people say a little overreactive, but I, I'd rather have us be an overreactive country or a reactive state and be a great model for everybody else. So let's, let's do this together. Let, let's pray together. Let's beat this together. And, uh, Let's, uh, let's go with God and let's play with heart. Exactly. And you'll be excited. Uh, Michael Lombardi agreed to come back on the podcast. We'll link his, uh, his previous episode, which is still one of my favorites. We'll link that in our show notes as well. So, Coach Z, take care, and we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Steve. Take care. Thanks again for listening to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. Please check out our new website, coachandcoordinator.com, and follow me on Twitter, at Coach K. Grabowski.